0: Good morning, Journey. So we are in the final week of this series that we're calling Whispers. We've been trying for the last five weeks and we're going to end today learning how to hear the voice of God. You say, Christian, why is that important? Well, we want to learn to hear the voice of God because sometime this week, certainly before the end of the year, you're going to be faced with a decision where you have to go one direction or another. And learning to hear the voice of God helps us to know which direction we go. Sometime between now and the end of the year, Something's gonna happen that you're gonna need some supernatural comfort from. Like, something's gonna happen, and you're just gonna need God to kind of like comfort your soul. So, we need to learn how to hear that comfort from God. At some point, we're gonna experience another thing that makes us feel hopeless. We're gonna go home and turn on the television. We're gonna turn on talk radio. We're gonna open the newspaper, and we're gonna see again a hopeless situation. And we're gonna need God to speak to us about how to have hope. Those are all reasons that we need to hear. The voice of God. But I think we've left the biggest one for today because we've not answered this question yet. Christian, how can I know the will of God? Like, how can I know the will of God for my life. We've not answered that question yet, but we're going to try to do that today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, pull out your sermon notes from your bulletin or fire up your Journey Church International app. You say, Chronicles, I don't read that one much. That's hard to find. Where is that in the Bible? It's right after 1 Chronicles. Um, Actually, if you turn to the book of Psalms and just start going left back towards the front, you probably will get to it pretty quick. Because in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to learn, I think, the most important lesson from this Whispers series. How can we know the will of God when we don't know what to do? We're gonna gonna meet a king named Jehoshaphat. And through a prayer of this king named Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, we're gonna see how you and I can go from a position of God, I'm not sure what to do here, to I'm pretty sure this is what God is speaking to me about. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, here's what you need to know to kind of jump into historically this series. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, which remember was southern Israel. There was a civil war at the same time that Ahab was king of Israel, which was the northern section of Israel. So we're jumping into the time period of Elijah, where we've spent two of the last three weeks, and we now are looking at the southern kingdom. Ahab has just died. His kingdom has just been overthrown. Now the people who have defeated the northern section of Israel are coming for the Southern section as well. And here's what we read. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses one through 17 says, after this, after what? After the death of Ahab, uh, after the the conquering of the Northern section of Israel, it says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of them, you came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army's coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea, it's already at Hezazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. If you ever go to Israel, I'll take you to in Getty. It's one of the most beautiful spots. They would have stopped there because it was the only place with fresh water. Verse three, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and he said, "Lord." The God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it. They've built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we're going to stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we're going to cry out to you in our distress so you'll hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Have you ever found yourself in this position with your family, dads? Did you hear the prayer that was just prayed? Have you ever found yourself sitting in your family room thinking about your family and thinking, I don't know what to do, but God, my eyes are on you. Like I think that is the greatest one-line prayer in all of the Bible there at the end of verse 12. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. God, I'm with my wife, I'm with my kids, I'm with my family. God, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. One of my favorite prayers in all of scripture. Verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah. He was a Levite, a minister who served before the Lord and a descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You're going to find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerel. You won't have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow because the Lord is going to be with you. God, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. That's a prayer that I said yesterday. Maybe not in that exact phrase, but there was something happened yesterday where for a minute I paused and thought, I'm not sure what to do here. I wish God would tell me. That's a prayer that I'll pray today. When you have two teenagers, when you're married, when you live in this world, there will be something that happens today. You'll get a text message where you have to pause and you'll think this even if you don't pray this. God, not quite sure what to do here. I wish you would show me what to do here. And this is a prayer that I'll pray tomorrow. If there's any biblical prayer to have memorized, it's this one. God, I'm not really sure what to do here, but my eyes are on you. You know, there's, a, there's also an interesting side note as we study this parallel world of the Israeli king and the Judean kings. And this isn't the point of the message, but this is certainly a teaching point in context of scripture. Do you realize we studied two of the last three weeks about Elijah God sent the prophet Elijah to prophesy destruction on King Ahab because he walked in the ways of his wicked father. His name was Omri. Elijah basically came to him and said, you got to quit acting like your dad spiritually or it's not going to go well for you. At the exact same time, do you see that today God sent the prophet Jehaziel to prophesy protection on King Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his righteous father Asa. If we were back up and read another chapter we would find out that God would say, listen, just keep doing what your dad did and you'll be fine. It's not the point of this message, but it certainly is a point of this text. Parents, if you're in here and you're a parent, your spiritual walk and how you listen to the voice of God radically impacts your children. I mean, did you hear the message from both of the prophets? The message from the prophets was basically this, stop being like your dad or keep being like your dad. If a prophet were to come to your children today, mom and dad, Would the message from the prophet to your kids who might want to know God be like, if you want to know God, you're going to have to quit being like your parents. Or would the message from the prophet be, if you really want to lean into God, just do what your mom and dad do. Say, well, Christian, I'm not a parent. Well, listen, you might not be a parent, but maybe you're a big brother or a big sister. You might not be a parent, but maybe you're a student ministry leader. You might not be a parent, but maybe you're a teacher or a coach or you have influence. You might not be a parent, but you might be a manager or a boss at work who manages people. The reality is this, how you learn to listen to and follow the voice of God in your life is exactly how somebody you have influence on is going to learn to listen to and follow the voice of God in your life. And if you never do it, they will never do it. And we are either birthing in our life this week's Ahab's or Jehoshaphat's. We're birthing people that God one day is going to have to say to them, don't do it like them because they did it the wrong way. Or we are birthing people that God can say to just do what they are doing because they do it the right way. So how do you listen to and follow the voice of God? Say, Christian, I, I don't know how, but I'd like to do that. If that's your posture, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you say, if God's really speaking, I want to hear it and I'll try to follow it, then today's for you because I think I can teach you how to know the will of God. But let's go up to this prayer real quick again. If you didn't underline it already, I want you to do that. Go to verse 12, the very last sentence of verse 12. This is our prayer. How do you know the will of God? You've got to start by seeking. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. If we start there, we begin to get the attention of God to say, speak to us, like Samuel did, because your servants are listening. How can we know the will of God? Well, here, here's the first thing you need to understand, just so there's no confusion about this. Number one, God desires for you to know his will. Like, I hope you understand that. We talked earlier in this message series about how God wants to know you, how God wants to have a relationship with you. But it's more than that. God doesn't want you to just know him and have a relationship with him. God wants you to know what he's thinking. God wants you to know his will for your life. If you have anything in your life that you're thinking, God, I really don't know what to do here. God is glad you're asking and he'd like to give you the answer. A few weeks ago, I was reading through my JCI Bible reading plan. We were in the end of the book of Isaiah And I read a passage in Isaiah 45 that just, I mean, it just made my heart light up because I read it and I thought, yes, this is what I needed to hear today from creator God. Isaiah 45, 18 through 20. Say, Christian, are you sure God wants me to know his will in my life? Yes. Listen to what God says. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. And he says, I'm the Lord and there is no other. I've not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I've not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So gather together and come. God said, look at your universe. Do do you think I put this one inhabitable globe there just for the heck of it? No, I put it there so you could be there. And do you think I put you there so you wouldn't know anything about me? No, I put you there so that you could know me. And do you think I would want you to know me without knowing what I was thinking for you? No, I want you to know me. I'm not hiding. I'm not speaking so softly you can't hear me. So gather together and come and let me tell you my will for your life. I love this. God said, why would I have created it to not have you here? And why would I have you here without having a relationship? And why would I have a relationship where I hid things from you? That doesn't even make any sense to the mind of God. And Isaiah the prophet says, wake up. You're here because God wants you here and he wants you to know his will for your life. You know, we can drill down on this even further with two words in the Old Testament that are hard to pronounce, especially together, but they're one of the greatest pictures of God wanting us to know his will. We find them in the Old Testament. They're called the Urim and the Thummim. You say, what, tight? No, I, I, I didn't sneeze. The Urim and the Thummim. You say, what are the Urim and the Thummim? It's listed inside your, um, inside your notes. We'll see it on the screen here in a minute. Go ahead and pull that up. Urim and Thummim are two Hebrew words that mean light and truth. They mean light and truth. And these were items given to the Jewish high priest to discern God's will for the people. God said, it's important for me, the people who are in following me, it's important for me that that they know what I want for them. So he gave the high priest, here's the deal, two little stones, two little tablets of wood. We're not really sure. They haven't been found in archaeology. We don't have any pictures of them. But we know that the high priest would carry over his heart these two little stones. I'm I'm almost going to defile scripture by calling them spiritual dice. But that was kind of the thought of it. Forgive me, Lord. I know you're not a gambler. Like, I know the high priest wasn't throwing dice. But the thought of these Urim and Thummim was this. God said, listen, when you don't know what to do, I want you to go to the high priest. And I want you to say, high priest, we need to know, does God want us to go right or left? And he's going to pull these things out of his breastplate. I don't know whether one was one color and one was another color. I don't know one if one said yes and another said no. I don't know how it worked, but I know that God said, "I will speak through these." So when you need to know something, come to the high priest. He'll throw the urim and the thummim, and I will speak to you through those. It's really important to me that you know my will. Here's what he told Exodus. Here's what he told Moses in Exodus chapter twenty-eight. He said, "Put the urim and the thummim in the breastpiece." so they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. God said, I want you in your heart to know my will for you. It's important to me that in your heart you know my will for you. I desire for you to know my will. Do you know the third university started in the United States of America before it was the United States of America was Yale in 1701? One of nine universities that were started before the Revolutionary War, um, the third oldest in our country. Do you know that it was started to train pastors who would lead churches basically in the new colonies of the British Empire because it was important to the leaders of their state that people would know the will of God? Do you know that Yale University was set up to teach people how to know the will of God so they could teach others the will of God so that they could follow God? Did you know that? Did you know if you go to Yale today and you see their coat of arms as you walk into their buildings, that when you go to Yale University today, you'll see a book open with two Hebrew words on the tablet of that book? What do you think those two Hebrew words would be? Anybody want to guess? Urim and Thummim. Up top, we see the Latin luxes, veritas, light and truth. A university started on this entire concept that God desires for you to know his will That he has shown you his will, that you can know his will, and that by knowing his will, you can know him. I'm not sure if that's really the direction they're going in anymore, but I know that's what it looks like when you walk in. Jehoshaphat said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Maybe you've been thinking that this week, Christian, I got something going on. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on God. How do I get a set of those little spiritual dice so I can throw them? Where do I find a prophet To tell me what God is saying. Well, listen, God desires for you to know his will. And it's actually easier than that for you because number two, God speaks today through what he has spoken yesterday. God speaks through what has been spoken. You say, how do I know the will of God? How do I know what God would say to me in this situation? You can know what God is saying to you now by verifying what God said to others in the past. God said, everything you're going to experience in life, I've already spoken to that. And if you can find it, you can follow it. Look how the author of Hebrews says, God is speaking today since the prophets and the Urim and the Thummim aren't around anymore. The author of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways, the spiritual dice or Urim and the Thummim. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe the sun is the radiance of God's glory and it's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful what? Word. God in the past spoke by prophets. God in the past spoke by the Urim and the Thummim, but today he's speaking through Jesus and Jesus speaks through his word. You can know what God is saying to you now by what God has said to others in the past. You say, well, what is this powerful word of Jesus? Listen to that, how the author of Hebrews goes on to continue to describe the powerful word of Jesus that God speaks to us by. It says the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let's stop and look at that right there. Where did the high priest keep the Urim and the Thummim in his breastplate? Where were they? Right over his heart. God said, I always want you to know in your heart what my will is for you, for your emotions, for your thoughts and your attitudes. Do you see what the New Testament is saying? Since Jesus now, God says, I'm taking that Urim and the Thummim out, and here's what I'm going to put. I'm going to put my word right over your heart. Psalm 119.11 says it this way, that if you hide God's word in your heart, you won't sin against God. But God said, I've always wanted people to know my will. And I'm taking the Urim and the Thummim that not everyone knows how to work. And I'm going to put my word right next to your heart so that when you wonder, God, do I go right or go left? God says, throw it out, throw it open, look for the answers and bang, you can know my will. Because my will has always been for you to know me my will has always been for you to know what I would want for you. And now you don't have to throw the Urim or the Thummim anymore. Now you can open my word because what I am speaking to you now about, I already spoke and I made sure it was written down and I made sure it was preserved. So just throw the word open and you can find the answer for your life. Say, Christian, but the Bible's thousands of years old. How could I know what God is saying now? Well, if you take a little bit of theology, the word theology are two Latin words, theos and logos, which means the knowledge of God or the study of God. Theology 101 teaches you some things about God, and one of those things is that God's character is immutable. It means unchanging. Mutable means like mutate, mutant, X-Men, right? They're like changed from the normal. God is not a mutant. God is not an X-Man. Like God does not change, which means anything God said 2,000 years ago, he still means today. That's what that means, it's why Paul told Timothy, a young guy that he was and who was trying to figure out, how can I know the will of God? Paul said this, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Like, this is how you find God's will. You take it from your heart and you open it up and then you put it back in your heart. Why? So that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's why we did the Be Still Challenge over 40 days. We're trying to get people into the word of God so they might know the will of God. I mean, I heard for the first time today what Pastor Brandon said about um, our giving in October this year versus last year being up 60% and a lot of that having to do with this fearless generosity challenge. And I'm thankful for everyone who who is taking part in that. But here's what I want you to know. If a year from now there are 60% more people reading their Bible and hearing from God, like we have won. This series has been a success. Like if that is a success rate of Christian, when you teach something This is how we can gauge that people are doing it. I'm good with that. If 60% more of you are reading God's word to find God's will and listening to it, I'm good. That's been a huge win for us. And guess what? If even just one of you does it, who did not do it before this series, it's a win. Because God desires you to know his will, and he's already spoken to you about the things he wants. He just wants you to find them. That's why we want you to read but here's the reality of reading. Christians don't read their Bibles to read. They read their Bibles to hear. Like reading your Bible is not really about reading your Bible. It's about hearing from God. So I had a professor in seminary that I talked to, talk about on the podcast this week who taught us uh, as a class that every time we open the Bible in the morning or at night or when we had our quiet time that we should open our Bible and that we should take a deep breath and pray Samuel's prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So almost every time for the last 20 years that I've sat down to read my Bible or devotional book, I'll open it up, I'll take a step back, and I'll say, Speak, Lord, because I'm listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is not to me about checking off a box. This is not about getting my daily reading in. This is not churning through the Bible. This is about me listening. My ears are open. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Christians don't read their Bible to read. They read it to hear When I hear someone say, I don't have time to read the Bible, I feel like someone is saying, I know God's on hold. I don't have time to talk to him. When I have someone say, it's not important for me to read the Bible, I hear someone rejecting the call from God, blocking him on your phone so he can't text you or call you. Because God speaks through what he's already spoken. And he wants to speak to you about his will. You can know what God is saying to you by verifying what God has said to others in the past. Jehoshaphat said, God, I I don't know what to do. I literally don't know what to do in this situation, but my eyes are on you. you. say, okay, so I just read my Bible, that's it, like start reading my Bible, and I'll know the will of God. You can actually go one more step further. Because we learn from scripture number three that God's will is near to you. So, what do you mean God's will is near to you? I mean God desperately wants to know his your He wants you to know His will, and He's put things very near to you around you to help you do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see the people of Israel freaked out because Moses is leaving. The only way they knew the will of God is that Moses told them. And when Moses was getting ready to check out and say his last goodbyes and go to his funeral plot, the people started freaking out. And they said, if you leave, how will we know the will of God? You're the only one who knows the will of God. If you leave, who will tell us? And Moses said to them in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14, listen, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in the heavens so that you have to ask who's going to ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it so that we might obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who's going to cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you might obey it. It's like God's not hiding from you. You don't have to have someone who can go to heaven to tell you what God wants, nor do you have to, go to have someone who goes on a great journey to know what God wants. The word is very near to you. So the key question I want to ask you today is how can I triple check God's will in my life? Like if I believe God is speaking to me about something and I can find in scripture what he has said about a similar scenario. Like if I feel like God is saying something to me and then I feel like scripture like really confirms this is what God wants in situations like these. How do I then triple check God's will in my life? Scripture gives us three more things to help us really confirm God's will. Number one, You can lean on the spirit's filling inside of you james 4 8 says that if you will draw near to god he will draw near to you it's why this be still challenge is 40 days not one day god's will can be confirmed by a season of prayer anytime i believe god is speaking to me about anything that's big i literally go mark a day on the calendar 40 days from then and I think for the next 40 days, I'm going to pray about this. And I'm just going to ask God. God, really confirm this in my spirit. Change my mind about it. Put things in my path. Make people make comments. Really let me know. I'm going to take a season of prayer. You said if I draw near to you, you'll draw near to me. So I'm going to give you 40 days. Help me really understand if this is you speaking to me or not. Answer number two. Learn to lean on spiritual friends around you. Proverbs 15:22 says that wisdom is found in the counsel of many. We don't go on by ourselves, but it says wisdom is found in the counsel of many. So you need to understand when we make decisions for our church, I never make a decision for our church. Really, I never make a decision for our church. There's a large group of people that makes decisions for our church. But when I, when I feel like God's speaking to me about something, I'll first try to find in scripture, God, is this your will? Is this your mission? And then I'll usually pray about it for 40 days. And after 40 days, if I still think God is speaking to me, I'll take it to my leadership staff And I'll say, guys, here's what I think I'm hearing. What do you think? If any one of them who's filled with as much of God or more of God sometimes than I am says, no, I don't think so, I'll cut it off. And if they say, yeah, I think I'll do it, I'll take it to our board of seven elders who literally oversee our church. And I'll say, okay, we've prayed, we've talked, this is what we think, but what do you guys think? I literally, there's not a decision at our church that doesn't get made by at least 15 people, at least over a period of 40 to 90 days in our quarterly elders' meetings. That's how it happens. Why? Because that's how the Bible says you know the will of God. You walk through those steps. Here's the dangerous thing about this leaning on spiritual friends around you. One, of you don't have any, some, one some of you don't have any spiritual friends. And that's dangerous. Because you're trying to find the will of God and you're asking people who don't even know or care anything about God. So that can be dangerous. But I found another dangerous thing. I can't tell you how many Christians I meet who say, Christian, I think God is speaking to me about this. And I'll have a check in my spirit and I'll say, Who have you talked to about that? And they'll say, you know, I really don't want anyone else's opinion. I just, I think I'm hearing from God on this. I can't tell you how many times I hear Christians say that. When I say, you know, what are your Christian friends saying? You know, I I really don't want to ask them right now. You know what most of them are saying? Probably they're going to disagree with me. And I don't want them to disagree with me. So I'm just going to say this is the will of God and I'm just going to go do it. Right? The fact that I think even that they may disagree with me, tells me God's putting a check in my spirit, but I'm just going to run over that and go do this thing myself. That's a dangerous thing. When you feel like God has spoken to you about something, but you know none of your Christian friends agree with you, guess who's wrong? It's usually you. Because one of the things that God does to confirm his will is he has has us pass it through the lens of many people. And then answer number three, when I really want to make sure I look at the spiritual fruit that will result from it. So I trust the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. I trust the spiritual friends that God has put around me. And then I look at the spiritual fruit that will result from it. Scripture says when you're moving in the direction of God, there are always two types of spiritual fruit that are present. One are actions that will bring God glory. So you say, I think God's calling me to do this, but if I do this, will this bring God glory? If the answer is no, God's not calling you to do it. Like if you say, but Christian, I've thought about it, and I found where it happened in scripture, and I've prayed about it, and I've talked to my friends, so I think I'm supposed to do it. But if I do it, it will not bring God glory. It will make people think badly of God. It will give them a bad picture of who Jesus is. Don't do it. Because when you're in the will of God, it will always bring glory to God. It will result in actions that glorify God. And then secondly, it will result in additions to the kingdom of God through souls. When God talks about spiritual fruit, he talks about things in our life that bring God glory and people who we reach who come into God's family. So you say, if I do this, will it lead to other people knowing about Jesus or will it turn people off to who the biblical Jesus is? You pass it through that lens. And the reality is when you get to the end of things like this, you're going to realize and have great confirmation in your life. There's no doubt in my mind, God's speaking to me about that. Jehoshaphat said, God, we don't know what to do. As a matter of fact, we, we know we can't win this battle. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But here's what you need to see having your eyes on God is not a posture just of rest, having your eyes on God is a pursuit. Having your eyes on God is a pursuit into God's word. Having your eyes on God is a pursuit into a season of prayer. Having your eyes on God is a pursuit into friendships where you're discussing things. Having your eyes on God is in pursuit of how things will make God look. And when you pass through all those layers, you can, just like God wants you to, you can know the will of God. Last year, we had a kind of a a staff day where we just kind of hung out and had fun and and we went to the escape room in Lee Summit. I don't know if you've ever been to any type of place like this. It was the guys against the girls. The guys had one room, the girls had another and we killed them. Like we got out almost in enough time to go have lunch and then come back and get them. Like we we were just better (laughs) at the thing than they were at that time. Plus we had a few more people, but it was so fun. If you've ever been to something like this, they lock you in a room, you have a set time to get out. They make you put away your phones. You're not supposed to really do any research on it. But when they locked us in the room, they took all our phones, they put us in the room, and the guy stood at the door, and he said this. He said, everything you need to get out of here is already in the room. You just have to find it. You're going to have to talk to each other. You're going to have to work together. But he said, if you will look carefully, everything you need to get out of this room is already in the room. And then he shut the door and said goodbye. He said, Christian, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to God. If that's really the posture of your life, here's what I can tell you. Everything you need to know the will of God, you already have. Everything you need to know the will of God is already in the situation that you're in. You just have to look for it. You have to talk to some people. You have to be willing to ask some questions. You have to be willing to ask for help and work together. But everything you need to find the will of God in your situation is already there. It's already there. And when you find it, you will unlock the door of what God's will is for my life in this step. It will bring God glory. It will help other people know who God is, and it will bring you one step closer to your eternal relationship with him. You've got everything you need. You just need to look for it. So let's recap. End of the message, end of the series. Christian, how can I know the will of God? You know, if, if, um, if I had the Urim and Thummim here, I would throw them out, and say, here's what they look like. But I, God says, I don't need that. I have something better. So I kind of created a spiritual dice of my own. Because every side of this dice answers that question. God, how do I know the will of God? God says, throw the dice. Got some Christian friends, they can help you. How can I know the will of God? Go ask your Christian friends, they will help you. How do I know the will of God? Christians, spin the dice. You got God's word? Dig deeply into it. Keep it right over your heart because I want your heart to know to know my will. God, how do I know the will of God? Throw the dice again my spirit that I've planted inside you. Lean into my spirit through a season of prayer because if you lean into my spirit through a season of prayer, I'll confirm things in your life. God, how do I know the will of God? Begin to pray and talk to God. Like if you had a spiritual dice like this, you could flip it any day of the week and say, God, how do I know your will? And it would always come up with a step God has given us to do that. The question is, will you lean into that? How do I know the will of God? Be still, number one, be still daily. Be still daily. Listen in your spirit for God's voice. Number two, confirm what you're hearing in your spirit within the proper context of God's word. Number three, ask God to confirm his voice in your heart and in your spirit over 40-day season of prayer. Number four, lean on wise Christian friends. Get their spiritual counsel. Number five, look at the spiritual fruit that will result from it. I believe if you will do that, you will not only hear God speak, you will see God move. I don't know if you noticed it, but we're renovating our auditorium. We're in the middle right now of renovating our auditorium because we've been working with our architect and we believe we can get in and about another 50 or 60 seats if we change some things over the next six weeks. So we're in the middle of doing that. Say, how'd you know you were supposed to do that? It was a long process. We started seeing our 930 service and our 11 a.m. service every week packed, no room for anyone else. We say, God, we're not quite sure what to do, but our eyes are on you we got a church that's too small for the people you're sending us. So God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So what do you want us to do? And we felt like God said, take small steps, just empty up a little bit of seats at a time. And I'll keep filling those with people who need me. So I thought I heard from God. So I thought, you know what I'm going to find in scripture? Is that what happens? And I found in scripture where God said, I need new wine skins for new wine. I thought, okay, that, you know, I feel like God's confirming this in my spirit. So I prayed about it for 40 days. I took it to our staff team and said, guys here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? We're going to make a mess. It's only going to result in 50 or 60 more seats, but that's like 10 or 12 families in every service. What do you think? They said, sounds good. So I took it to our quarterly elders meeting. said, here's what our staff's thinking. What do you guys think? They sent it back to our finance team and said, let our finance team look at it. Our finance team sent a report to the elders team and said, yeah, we think this is what we should do. Go for it. We think it'll glorify God. We think it'll help reach more people. Yeah, go for it. But there was this step of faith where it's like, go for it, but It's probably gonna take 90 days to pay for it. So we just need to pray that God brings the money to pay for it, but go for it, because we're here for souls. That's why we're here. Do you know that by the time we got to the end of October, before we started the first phase of the project, because giving was 60% over what it was last year, you know the project was already paid for? Before we started it, it was paid for. You see, we had to seek the will of God. But when you seek the will of God, And then you watch it like come to a conclusion. It's like, wow. Like, wow. What started with a whisper in our heart and took 90 days to kind of wade through to know, literally when we stepped into the will of God, God moved so fast. It's like, gosh, what do we do we do next? And we know the answer to that. And it's a scarier answer, but it's like, all right, God, if you're gonna respond that quick, we'll keep creating seats if you wanna keep reaching people. You know, we started this series so that you might hear the voice of God so that this week when you needed to know, do I go left or right? You can know direction so that this week when something difficult comes into your life, you'll have comfort so that this week, when you read the next headline of hopelessness, you'll have hope. But really we started. So you'd know the will of God for you. My question is, are you listening? Have you started hearing? And will you follow? If so, would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning?